the day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Good evening. Welcome. So glad you're with us. Big show tonight. You should get involved on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. It's 855-616-1620. Oh, my goodness. Where to start? Well, if you're calling in, you'll be talking to Matt. We'll start with that. Matt's producing the show. It'd be nice to him. You get to me. Uh, then we have we actually have two text questions of the night tonight because um, a couple things popped into my uh, noggin. First, you know, you heard Jessica say, and you probably knew this, Governor Evers is about to give the State of the State address. In one sentence or less, what would you say the State of the State is? See if you mesh with the governor. What is your State of the State? And then, just 180 degrees from the State of the State, today is National Handwriting Day. Do you think cursive writing should still be taught in school? And do you have good handwriting? I have horrible handwriting because I don't, I don't uh, do it anymore. If I use a pen or a pencil, I print. Uh, I can't sign my name the same way twice. You know, every if I have to go through, like even when I was getting my passport, I had to. You know, you, there's a lot of forms you can sign, and I'm like. The feds are going to come after me because there's nothing that is the same. I can sign my signature five times. None of them will look the same. Now, Matt, you're a young man. When you were in school, did they still teach cursive writing? I was at the tail end of teaching cursive. They got rid of it, I think, two years after I started learning it. But I actually never learned cursive because my printing was so bad that when the rest of the class learned cursive, I was pulled into another room to continue refining my printing. Is that right? Yeah. You just never, like, so when you were in first and second grade and you were working on your letters, did you just skip school those days? Skip the lines. I wouldn't necessarily say I skipped school, but my A's were, you know how they have those dotted lines in the middle? Yeah. And then sometimes they have them inflated on the paper so you know when to stop for a lowercase sure they're like perforated yeah yeah i just couldn't hit those lines <laughs> even if you looked i have a little checklist for each show right in front of me yeah if you looked at that you'd be like man this kid hasn't worked on his handwriting in uh 20 years yeah see, it's terrible that's how it is that's how it is if i curse because i also um like my, for my mom has the most beautiful handwriting you've ever seen and i think it's because the way they were and my aunts and a lot of people i know um you know that age it was a way they were taught their handwriting and they say you're supposed to you know move your whole arm and your i only would move my fingers so my handwriting was never great but i can print pretty well you know my printing i would say is is good everything all my rundown sheets, all my notes, every pretty much anything I handwrite is printed. Um, and I think that's just, and it's all printed in capital letters, too. Unless I'm printing something for the little kids at school like on, on the whiteboard or something, then I have to remember that I need to use a capital letter and then lowercase letters. But other than that, uh, it's all capital letters, which I'm sure I've read some uh, handwriting analysis and psychology saying that there's a problem with that, that I am uh, somehow 
subconsciously screaming at people who want everybody to pay attention to me because I print in all capital letters. And I said, well, I don't think my handwriting is what gave that away. Maybe it's what I do for a living. But um, so that's it. Yeah, we don't teach... We don't teach handwriting. Occasionally, a kid will get a wild hair at home, or they'll see somebody do it, and they'll come in and they'll try to do cursive, even though it's not. We don't teach it, and uh, some of the kids get it. Some of them, they're they're almost like you, Matt. They're having enough trouble with printing. We gotta just focus on the printing. We don't have to worry about the. Uh, we don't have to worry about the curse of writing. All right, we are hoping to, uh, well, I, I'm hoping to. We'll talk to Justin Garcia at the end of the show, right before he comes on with Bucks Weekly. We're going to have him jump on with us for a few minutes, and we are going to talk about this uh, Adrian Griffin firing. I was, uh, now, as a sports play-by-play guy, Matt, you probably know this, and I, I know enough about sports, I think, to be able to make have opinions and things. What I don't get is with the record that the Bucks have, 30 and 13, um, second in the East at this point, things are looking pretty good. But I know that's not the reason uh that Griffin got fired. I know it has something to do with the defense and the defense dropping from the top of the league last year down to almost the bottom. And even though he was supposed to be a defensive coach. So, uh, I, I was a little shocked by this. Did you, uh, when you heard this news, were you, did you fall out as the kids like to say? This definitely came out of left field, but when you unpack the reasons why it happened, you're not searching for answers. So it, Am I shocked to see a team that has a 30 and 13 record, two of the best players in the NBA, and the record reflects? It's one of those things where you'll ask, what else is Coach Griffin supposed to do? But when you peel the onion back a tad, there are some reasons that make this make sense, but to do it in the middle of the season, and Justin will have more on this in a little bit. Yeah. But even though he's not executing where he's supposed to execute with him being a defensive guy and the Bucks not having the correct fit. You see it a lot in football where a coach will be fired because he doesn't fit the scheme that's given to him. It's yeah, a little, it's similar here. able to adjust to his, exactly, to his way but, of doing things, which seems to be, that seems to be the case more than the former, wouldn't you say? With Damian Lillard Chris Middleton, Giannis, the guys the Bucks have, they're not going to be a team that is strong at the point of attack on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to be a team that is going to sit back and outscore the other team and make it a shootout. They're not going to be a team that is going to pressure the ball. They're not going to be a team that is going to wreak havoc on opposing offenses. And we don't know the direction the Bucks are going to go in, whether it's Doc Rivers, whether it's somebody else. But they're I got to ask Justin that. about this because I just saw I was you know prepping prepping the show and I saw a report that now again this is sports guys love to uh, try to be first most reporters do but sports guys more than anybody they want to have the breaking story and I saw a report that said the Bucks had hired uh, Doc Rivers a month ago I don't know it seemed a little far fetched to me but uh, we'll see if there's uh, if there's more of uh, more theories, more conspiracies, when we uh, check in with Justin Garcia in a little bit, but yeah, it was. It, it, I don't know. 
when you've got, I can see if a first year coach, even if he has superstars, if the record is horrible, like if it had been flipped and they were thirteen and thirty, you go, oh yeah, of course. But thirty and thirteen, pretty good at the halfway point. But we'll we'll figure out who you think it's going to be. Do you think it's going to be Doc Rivers? I would find it hard to believe it would be anybody else. Like you said, Brian, they brought Doc in a month ago in a you know abyss role because keep in mind doc rivers still is under a massive contract with espn i'm not sure what the buyouts are there considering he's on their top team and he's slated to broadcast the nba finals in june but with him he's a veteran head coach he's won a title the issue is is then you're gonna have to start from scratch you're gonna have to redo all the systems Keep in mind, Coach Griffin just finished building his staff. He brought in a couple guys late, and now we'll have to see how that dynamic works. And Justin will have more insight into it, but there's a lot more that comes to this, and you have to have a lot of confidence in making this move because if it does not work with this team after claiming your championship window is narrow, you have to be 100% sure that this move is going to pay off for you to make it. Sounds good. We will talk about this more later on. Uh, our text question of the night, we have two. Uh, the governor is giving state of state address tonight in one sentence or less. What would be your state of the state? And it's National Handwriting Day. Should cursive writing still be taught in school? And how's your handwriting? Uh, from the 414, I think cursive writing education should be limited to teaching a student to sign his or her name. Anything more is a waste of time and borderline sadistic. Yeah, most of our correspondence is done via email, text, things like that. We're typing. We're sending. uh, I I don't know anybody who really writes a letter anymore. I'm sure there are people. I actually got a handwritten thank you note uh, from something last week, and I thought that was a very nice touch. But I, it might, it might have been printed. I know when I send cards or stuff, I print them. All right, let's take a quick break because, oh my goodness. What? It's time for the annual resetting of the doomsday clock. How close are we to the end of times? We'll get into that and more. It's WTMJ Nights. Brian Noonan here until 8. Then it is Bucks Weekly with Justin Garcia. Oh, my goodness. The doomsday clock has another update. That's right. Uh, but the good news uh, the good news is it hasn't changed since last year. The bad news is... According to the doomsday clock, we are. it is still 90 seconds to midnight, the closest the clock has been in its history. Uh, midnight is the moment that symbolizes doomsday. Yes. Um, they, the experts who maintain the doomsday clock said today that humanity is still as close as ever to global catastrophe which could involve nuclear war, climate change, or maybe even artificial intelligence. I know you're like, hey, Brian, uh, we come to this show to have a good time. What What's with all the doomsday talk? I don't know. I just want to put the fear of God in everybody because, uh, you know, some some people need to think that uh, the end is nigh. Maybe they'll change their behaviors. So the time on the symbolic clock is the same as last year. It's 90 seconds to midnight. It's a metaphor the doomsday clock is for how close humanity is to self-annihilation you know it's funny i think about the doomsday clock once a year and that's the day that they re- reset it or keep the setting the same it's not like i don't think uh, i'm different from pretty much anybody how often are you thinking about the doomsday clock probably 
probably not in those terms. I mean, with all that's going on in the world, there's probably a lot of time when we uh, we're like, oh man, this is this this could be dire, but we don't go check the doomsday clock, see what time it is. So the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, they started maintaining the clock in 1947 at the University of Chicago. It remained at the same time as last year due to the continued heightened levels of risk from threats such as ongoing wars and out-of-control climate change. This year, expert also, experts also said they were especially worried about how advances in artificial intelligence could sow chaos, making it harder for to prevent global disasters. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting to see when we uh, get closer to the election. Now, I know the New Hampshire primaries are tonight. You're probably following those. Uh, and Jessica will keep you updated on any results we get as uh, the news progresses throughout the night. But, um, you know, uh, AI... I do worry about AI. I know I always sound I always sound very much like an old man when I say I worry about AI. But there's st- somebody it was, just it was dumb. Something on Jimmy Kimmel. They did a uh, they did they played a robocall that had gone out in um might have been Jimmy Kimmel, maybe it was the actual news. But uh <laughs> yeah, maybe it was the actual news. Uh that uh they had sent out a robocall in New Hampshire purporting to be President Biden, and it was it was done, it was put together by AI. And if you listened really close, it was the president's voice, but it was obviously a highly highly edited, very halting recording. But that might have just been a hastily done AI. There's really good ones. All right. Uh, oh, AP has called New Hampshire for uh, Donald Trump. Trump with 52.5%. Nikki Haley with 46.6%. Pretty close, actually. Uh, surprisingly close for New Hampshire. But that's the AP is calling uh, calling New Hampshire for Trump. Thank you, Matt, for sending that along. That's the, the crack WTMJ Knights staff doing what I am not. I'm worried about the doomsday clock and AI, and they're actually getting the uh, the hard news to uh, to come at you. But uh, so there you go. We're 90 seconds to midnight, which is not a band that plays uh, 90s pop hits, but uh, the actual time on the doomsday clock. And then who knows what'll happen? Probably nothing. Doomsday clock is going to stay there. All right. One of our text questions um, was about cursive writing. And a text from the 262 is a 30-year veteran of teaching. I can tell you that there is more to cursive writing than just a signature. There have been studies done that show that cursive is linked to brain development and certain connections in the brain. Huh. Interesting. And yet, nobody teaches it. Well, one, to be quite honest, there's no time in the school day. Um... I know in the little, in the young classes, in kindergarten and first grade, we do handwriting, but that's to get, uh, that's so kids can learn their letters and learn how to, and Matt, those are the days that Matt missed. But, uh, you know, and Matt, did you have the little, like, we have the, we use the handwriting book. Did they have the book with, like, a picture of an apple, and then they would have the uppercase and the lowercase a, and you would have to do that? I can tell you about the apple and the upper and lowercase a. I don't know what they had B through Z. I never got to that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a, well, but look how far you've come. 
I know, with, it's amazing. With such limited ability to write letters. That's very good. You should be very proud of yourself. <laughs> I don't, uh, it's a, it's a flex. Hey, I can't write, but look at, look at what I can do. That's perfect. All right, let's take a break. And, um, then there's more. Of course there is. It's WTMJ Nights. On the other side of the news, the Oscar nominations came out today. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then we'll check in with Justin Garcia and get some more information on what's going on with the Bucks. Uh, I almost didn't make the show, Matt. I fell just as I was coming in to, uh, to turn everything on. Are you okay? I tripped over the... Well, yes. Uh, unfortunately, my printer tray is not, because I fell into the... I fell, and as I fell, I reached out... And you know the piece on the printer tray that stops the paper from just shooting off across the room? My paper's <laughs> going to be shooting piece. off across the room for a while. That's, that, that piece is gone. Snapped right off. But uh, And then, then as I fell, I banged into a bookshelf, and I was pelted with all these hats that are on top of the bookshelf. And I was just laying there on the dog bed going, oh, no, I can't get up. <laughs> The biggest fear, like with all the ice today, and then with all the uh, with the, the biggest fear I have is falling down. I have reached that age where falling down has it's a it's a priority. I got up today and I was like, I don't want to go out. There's ice everywhere. I'm going to fall. Um, you know, I I did the little grandpa shuffle as I went out today. Till I, till I get to the garage so I could salt everything because anybody, like you're young, Matt. If you fall, you're, you're going to bounce back up. You're spry and nimble. You get to a certain age, you fall, and that could be it. And, that, you know, if I fall out in the alley or something, nobody's going to come find me. I'm just going to be laying there all broken and just crying. Um, but anyway, I survived, and I'm here. And so after the news, we're going to talk a little Oscar nominations. But right now, it is time for us to go to the WTMJ 24-hour news center, where Jessica Gatso has not fallen down. She is standing by with the news. Oh, my goodness. It is WTMJ Nights. Brian Noonan here until 8 o'clock. Then it's Bucks Weekly with Justin Garcia. The 2024 Oscar nominations came out today. I have to confess, I have not seen many of the movies this year for whatever reason. One, I don't go to the theaters anymore. I just, I don't, I can't. Um, I wait till the movies come on streaming services, and then I watch them at home. I don't know, I don't know when I'll go back to the theater, but it hasn't been this year. Um, Oppenheimer led the uh, all nominations with 13 nominations. Not too bad. Followed by a movie I've never heard of, Poor Things, and that got 11 nominations. Now, Oppenheimer, did you see Oppenheimer, Matt? I haven't seen any of the movies that are up for nomination. Right. Perfect. Uh, yeah, Oppen three hours. That, that's the thing. I um, Like, it's on streaming now. I could watch it. But every time I think about watching it, I think, well, it's three hours. Now, I'm granted, I'm watching it at home, so I could I could break it up. Like with the Irishman, I watched, I broke it up, but I also sometimes sit down and watch three hours worth of episodic stuff. So I don't know, I don't know what it is. I know, you know, it's probably very heavy. Oppenheimer, uh, you know, the subject matter is not light and airy, but uh, and the performances are supposed to be good. So that's it. I still haven't watched Barbie either, and I, there, I do want to watch Barbie. I think it'll be silly fun. And there you go. But 
I haven't watched that yet either. There was a lot of hubbub today because uh, Greta Gerwig, the director of Barbie, and uh, Margot Robbie, Barbie herself, were snubbed. No nominations, despite the fact that uh, supporting actor and actress, America Ferrara and uh, Ryan Gosling, both nominated. The movie, nominated for Best Picture. And yet, Barbie herself, snubbed. And the director, the woman who made it, boom, she doesn't get it. But the ladies getting it done at the Oscars this year, uh, for the first time ever, the Best Director category has three female nominees. So that's good. Uh, um, yeah. So there we go. Oh, the best, uh, the best picture. No, the best pictures. Sorry, have three movies directed by women. So here are the nominees for best picture. Um, again, I haven't seen any of them. American Fiction. That's with. Um, that's a. Uh, oh, who was in that one? Jeffrey Wright is in that one. It's supposed to be very good. Anatomy of a Fall. No idea what it is. Barbie. The Holdovers with um, Paul Giamatti. Killers of the Flower Moon, which I, I've heard good things and bad things about it. Another three-hour movie. What, do we need three-hour movies? I know people, I, I know people, um, uh, I know people, artists want to create. And I know some people say, oh, three hours, it sounds like you're old, you can't sit and, three hours just seems long, right? That just, it's just too long. Um, Maestro with Bradley Cooper, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and Poor Things. Those are your Best Picture nominees. So, Matt, we've seen none of them. I Oh, Zone of Interest is also one of the Best Pictures. I, I remember the time when I would have seen like seven or eight. That was, Well, back when they only had four or five uh, nominees, I would have seen most of them. Uh, best Actress, Annette Bening in Nyad. Didn't see it. Uh, Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon, didn't see it. Uh, Sandra Huller, Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, and Emma Stone in Poor Things. Best Actor. Oh, I did see, oh, I saw one of these movies. Uh, Bradley Cooper in Maestro, didn't see it. Coleman Domingo in Rustin. Rustin was really good. Rustin is about a civil rights activist who worked with Martin Luther King uh, that most people, including a lot of African Americans, had never heard of. The movie was phenomenal. Uh, it's on Netflix. So if you want to catch up with that, Rustin, I can I can give two solid uh, thumbs up. Paul Giamatti for the holdovers. Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Best Supporting Actress: Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple. America Ferrara in Barbie. Jodie Foster in Nyad, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. And finally, Best Supporting Actor, Sterling K. Brown uh, for American Fiction. Bob A.D., Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. Robert Downey Jr., he seems to be the odds-on favorite to win the Oscar. They're really pushing for uh, Robert Downey Jr. I like Robert Downey Jr. I think he's a really good actor. I loved him as Iron Man. I'm not going to apologize for that. I liked him in other stuff. But I loved him as Iron Man. Ryan Gosling in Barbie and Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. Oh, and then we'll throw in the directors. Why not? Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall. Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon. Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Yorgos Lantimos for Poor Things. 
and Jonathan Glazer for the Zone of Interest. So there you go. I'll be watching the uh, the Academy Awards on March 10th. I always I still like to watch the Academy Awards, even though I don't watch many other award shows. But there's something about the Oscars. I still I'm still kind of a sucker for uh, for the Oscars, even though again I feel I always this is the only show where I feel like I'm missing out. I still love the movies and love going to movies and stuff. But I don't like going to movies. I like watching them at home. I just uh, I don't know. There's something about there's something about carving up that that time for a movie. Even though, like I said, most of us will still sit and watch. We'll binge a couple episodes of a show, and that'll be that. From the four one four, I give a moderate thumbs up to Killers of the Flower Moon, and I found myself in a book about thirty minutes into Barbie. It would have been sooner if I hadn't been navigating a very messy cheeseburger. I haven't seen any of the others. All right, fair enough. Yeah, listen, a cheeseburger will take precedence over a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Matt, uh, if you were a betting man, not having seen any movies, this will, this will be, this will be a, good, a good guess. You haven't seen any of them, nor have I. Let's, uh, let's take a guess on best picture, and then we'll check back. You've got American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and Zone of uh, Zone of Interest. Oppenheimer. Yeah, that's a good bet. Oppenheimer's going to win. Everybody, it seems to be the year of Oppenheimer. It was the year of Oppenheimer and Barbie, and yet, oh my goodness, I don't think Barbie's going to take it. I'm gonna watch it. You know, my wife. My wife, oddly enough, is the one who uh, poo-pooed watching Barbie. She's like, nah, I don't know. I don't want to. I thought that'd be. I thought she'd be 100 percent on board. Um, hey, oh, I gotta tell you this before we uh, before we take a break and talk to Justin. Uh, I get home from school today, and we have ADT. We have one of the security system. You know, and my wife says. Uh, she had the day off. She goes, I got home from the grocery store, and there's something beeping downstairs, and it's freaking out the dogs. And so I look at the pad, and there's a warning thing, uh, you know, a uh, caution thing, and it says the CO2 detector downstairs is not working. And I'm like, okay. So I go down downstairs, and I swap out the batteries, and I figure, well, this should do it, because in the past, anytime something has beeped, once I change the batteries... Everything works fine. Well, it doesn't work. There's still a beeping. And I'm looking around. I We have a smoke detector and then a smoke and CO2 detector in the basement. I check both of those. I've changed the batteries now, brand new batteries in both of them, and there's still a beeping, a beeping, a beeping. And my wife calls, and they tell her it's a medical emergency. Well, we don't have medical emergency monitoring. I'm not wearing a – I probably should start wearing <laughs> After I after I tripped over the dog bed, I probably should start wearing uh, some sort of medical alert, but I don't have one. My wife doesn't have one. I'm downstairs with the guy from ADT on the phone, and we're going through all this stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, our grand dog, who is staying with us this week, starts barking like crazy, and I hear a faint knock at the door. Now we have a doorbell that's loud, but I hear a faint knock. I go up. It's the fire department. 
I look out the front window. There's a giant fire truck in front of our house. Lights going. There's three firefighters on at my door when I open it up, and I'm like, "Hi guys, what's going on? I'm on the phone with ADT right now. I'm sorry." He goes, "Yeah, we got uh, we got an alarm that there was a medical emergency here." I'm like, "No, there's not." And he said, and he says my wife's name. He goes, "That's the name." It's under. I go. Yeah, she that's my wife. She's downstairs. She's fine. We don't we don't have medical monitoring. He's like, she doesn't have a little bracelet. I go, no. And then I look and right next to the door is a sledgehammer and a giant like pickaxe. I don't know if they were planning on breaking in the door, but I'm I'm so glad that I heard the knock and I, I looked and I was like, man, I'm glad you guys didn't have to come in this way. And the oldest of the three firefighters says yeah, I came up to knock on the door, and I see these guys with these tools, and I'm like, what are you going to do with those? So, yeah, uh, quite an adventurous afternoon. Not not as, uh, not as bad as it was for Adrian Griffin. Let's take a quick break. And then uh, I'm very fortunate that Justin Garcia has said he will come in and try to explain everything to us about the firing uh, before he actually does his own show where he talks about nothing but the Bucks. So it'll be like a little bit of an extended Bucks Weekly, a little bit of crosstalk, and a little bit of WTMJ Nights, all mashed up for your listening enjoyment, and it will commence right after this. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights. After 8 o'clock, you'll be listening to Justin Garcia with Bucks Weekly, but... Because uh, I know what I don't know, and some things need to be explained to me like I'm a, a child. Justin Garcia is joining us early to talk a little bit about what's been going on with the Bucks today. Justin, thanks for uh, coming in a few minutes early. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So, again, uh, I, I'm a guy who prides himself in knowing what he doesn't know and, and not being afraid to say, I don't quite understand this. So, at 30 and 13... I don't understand what went on with Adrian Griffin today. Well, he was uh, relieved of his job. So well, I know he's he was not... fired, but why? <laughs> usually, usually firing is reserved for coaches who are not whose teams are not doing well. And I know, I know, part of it, or maybe all of it, you can you can shed some light on this. Is about uh, he's supposed to be a defensive expert, and yet the Bucks' defense has slid over this season from last year. They went from the top of the you know the top of the league in defense to toward the bottom of the league. Is that is that what it's really all about? I think it's a in a vacuum. That's part of it. Um, Slid is putting it mildly that as we sit here on what January twenty third, they're rated twenty second defensively, which uh, is a far cry from where they typically were the last 5 years. I mean, that's one extra two from where they were usually right. sitting. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the big difference. Um I think part of it is you expected and hoped to see a lot more progression at this point. That uh, if anything you would you would make a stronger case that this team had regressed ever since right around Christmas that they were seemingly building towards something and it just took a massive step backwards around Christmas, and especially once we've gotten into January, uh, where the Bucks are six and five, and the defensive numbers are even uglier. The offense hasn't been great either. Uh, they're still scoring points, but it, it hasn't been done efficiently. So I think part of it is you didn't see that steady progression that at this point you need to see. It's a, an older team. It's a veteran team. You know. Your window is only open so long, right? Not just for this team, but for every team that they're in a we-have-to-win 
and compete for a championship now mode. And that was, I guess, the the most surprising thing about the Adrian Griffin hire in the first place was those coaches, you know, guys that are first-time head coaches, you usually don't pair those two together of looking to win a championship and then, oh, by the way, here's a guy that, that has never been in that seat before. Right. So I, I think this was kind of a, we, we're not seeing what we need to see, and l- we don't have time to learn on the job in the playoffs. We have to act swiftly and basically not concede a year here when you don't know how long you'll have this group together. Well, does this go back a little then to uh, John Horst, who who hired Adrian Griffin? Um, and what you said makes perfect sense. If you, you, you know, you... Uh, you got Damian Lillard, you have Giannis, you've got the team that's ready to go. If the window is there, why, and I know hindsight is twenty twenty. why, what was the impetus then to hire Adrian Griffin if he wasn't going to mesh with this veteran team that needed a coach who could deal with veterans and get them over that hump? Well, the the popular narrative that's out there is this was a Giannis decision and a Giannis hire. And I, I don't believe that's the case, that this was Giannis just saying, look, this is the guy, hire him. Um, but I, I do think you know, some of the things that we heard last year from this team, even when Mike Budenholzer was the head coach, you know, you think back to Bobby Portis making some comments late in the season and a few other guys mentioning just how much they really missed Darvin Ham when he left to uh, become the head coach of the Lakers I think that was a big part of it. Is it, it wasn't just Giannis. He had talked about this. Bobby, as we mentioned, had talked about it. A number of guys that, you know, they really missed that guy that Darvin Ham was. A former player that could relate to them. He wasn't afraid to give them the bad news, right? And, and I think that was a lot of, okay, this is what we didn't have. And this is what the players are looking for. And Adrian Griffin checked off a lot of those boxes. You know, Chris and a number of players met with him as well. Uh, in the offseason and, and through the hiring process. So this, this wasn't just a Giannis hand-picked guy. Right. Um, I think it was largely what a lot of those guys were looking for and a coach that they could relate to, a coach that had been through those moments before. And of those finalists, you know, Nick Nurse, Kenny Atkinson, and Adrian Griffin, Griff was the one that checked all those boxes. Okay, this is a, a dumb question then, but I'm going to ask it because I'm sure other people are thinking that. If, if Adrian Griffin is a guy that the team as a whole or, or even the main players are saying, hey, this is a guy we can play for. This is a guy we like. Where's where's the disconnect then? In what we eventually saw? Right. In, like you're saying, okay, they, they all liked him. He checked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Then things start off pretty good. Where does the disconnect come yeah. around Christmas? What causes these players who wanted this coach to not be able to function under his system. Yeah, and I mean, look, I'll preface with uh, I'm not in the locker room with the players, and I'm not trying to uh, speak for them, but you know, I do know based off the information that I had that the players all, you know, by and large, they really, really liked Adrian Griffin as a man and a, as a guy, that they, they loved him. But I think the larger thing was when you think back to four games in, they they made their first change defensively, where this was going to be a high-pressure defense that tried to force turnovers, all these things that the Bucks had never done for the last five years. A part of that was the system that Bud ran. Part of it is also 
this is an older, aging group, and yeah. it's maybe not as uh, athletic on the perimeter, which you, you kind of need that athleticism <laughs> to pressure the ball and force yeah. turnovers and play this way. So I think a lot of us kind of raised eyebrows of I don't, I just don't know if this this style is going to work. And it took four games to see the first modification where you realize maybe we shouldn't play Brooke Lopez on the perimeter and have him do some of these things. We should probably let our seven-footer protect the basket. And yeah. I, I just I do wonder, not that I'm suggesting that he lost the team, but I just remember Mike Budenholzer telling some of us a year ago, a couple of years ago, that like in this league, the players are smart. And right. once they get the sense that you're not, or at least that, that you maybe don't know everything that you're purporting to, and, and maybe we feel like we know more than you, you have lost them, and there's no moving forward from that. And that was the message Bud gave to a lot of us. And I'm not saying that's what was the case, but some of the numbers that you see, it's 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 tough to say that maybe that wasn't a factor. It's an, it, that's interesting. All right, so we're at this point. Adrian Griffin is gone. Uh, you've got uh, Joe Prunty. Uh, mm-hmm. he is good, he's going to be the interim coach. Does I guess I'm wondering why they didn't have somebody ready, and to to just go, or maybe they do, and they just want to give it a a couple days to kind of yeah let the dust settle. I would assume it's a couple days. Um, you know they don't have anybody on staff, and again, this isn't a knock on that coaching staff, but that was the other part. Is Adrian Griffin was not an experienced head coach. This was his first uh, go around there, and this staff is another staff that that lacked that experience. When you think back to Bud's coaching staff, Charles Lee was your lead assistant last year. He's the lead assistant with the Boston Celtics now. Um, Taylor Jenkins was on that staff. He's the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies now. Darvin Ham, he's the head coach of the Lakers. So you had not only a very good coach, but you had a stable and experienced and good bench as well that we saw other teams interviewing uh, assistants from that staff and hiring them, and that's just not the case with this staff, that they're on more of the younger side in terms of their coaching career. I know you have some vets there, and Joe Prunty is one of those, um, but it wasn't that bench that you had under Mike Budenholzer. So there's no true in-house candidate. And in terms of making this move and saying, okay, we fired Adrian Griffin and here's the coach, those are tough optics too because if that's the yeah. case and it's external – well, you've clearly been negotiating with somebody else about my job while I held the job. So I think it's going to be a matter of days probably before you have your next head coach lined up. It seems like all of the indications are there's a very good chance that's going to be Doc Rivers, if that is. It certainly creates a good story for the Chicago native and and kid who has his number retired in Pfizer Forum where he played for Marquette, where, where Marquette plays. He played in the Bradley Center. Uh, but all the stories that that would check off there, and he's an experienced head coach, and I think the biggest asset that he would bring, if he is the coach, is experience in, in managing veteran players and stars and coaching those types of players. And that's where the Bucks are. This roster is a super team, and it's just like in Chicago when you had Phil Jackson. You need somebody to manage those types of players. Well, it's going to be very interesting, and I know you're going to be covering this in depth after the 8 o'clock news. Thanks for jumping on with me, Justin. I always appreciate your time and your expertise, so uh, thanks very much. All right, we got to get out of here. I'll be back on Thursday. 
Justin Garcia coming up on the other side of the news with Bucks Weekly. Ah, there might be some more things to talk about. Matt, thank you very much. Thank you for listening and being part of the program. Talk to you later. Have a great night. It's WTMJ.